0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
1: Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. I am joined this morning by Julie Weisenhard from the University of Minnesota. Good morning to you, Julie
2: Good morning, Denny. How are you on this cold winter day <laughs>
1: I, you, I know I know this is very typical after doing forecasts for all these years here on c c o it always mm-hmm. in the winter time in the eight o'clock hour it all oh, the temperature always drops for some reason <laughs> it's so when we get on the air, it was four and then moved to three and now officially it's two and that's above though that is above so that's That's positive. And we're still and yet going to talk about gardens, lawns and gardens, as we always uh, do. We love to do that. It kind of keeps things going, doesn't it? Yeah, it
2: keeps you hopeful. (laughs)
1: Hopeful. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Um, If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, and if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we tend to get busy. So we'd love to help you out. So don't wait. Uh, Call or text Julie. One number for either a phone call or text, and that number is 651 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226. Four six one nine two two six six five one four six one nine two two six. I know during these winter months, Julie, we talk you and your colleagues about uh, about seed catalogs, and I'm thinking, you know, what we can yes. do winter reading, you know, with hope <laughs> for spring. Uh, what can we do with those seed catalogs? What uh, I don't know is if I've ever, uh, maybe my wife has, but I have not chosen anything. How do we make these choices, and and, and what do we look for?
2: So when you're, uh, I think it's important to think back over the last year. So think about your garden in 2022. And, uh, and, and, and as I mentioned before on the show is, you know, keep a list of things that worked and things that didn't, maybe some ideas that you've had, either that you've seen at a friend's garden or on a garden tour or at one of our public gardens. And then as you're searching for seeds, if you are a seed starter And we do have good information on how to start seeds on our extension site. Go ahead and look at the plants that are there. Look at the form of the plants. uh, If they're small, tall, the size that they're going to be. Think about flavor if you're looking at things like herbs or vegetables as well. Um, you might choose heirloom tomatoes, which are open pollinated and some of our kind of historic tomatoes, or you might choose a hybrid that's more disease resistant. Um, you might be choosing plants that have flowers for pollinators too. And there's oftentimes a little indicator, it's a bee or a butterfly that's in the listing of the plant and the information that will tell you that this plant is a good plant for bees or and or butterflies as well. So As you're reading through there, read the descriptions. I love actually reading some of these catalogs and how people have written to describe these plants. They talk about the fruit, and they talk about the sweetness, uh, the crunch, the um, the resilience of the plant, and uh, just give them a really a a good uh, you know a good once over making a list all the time of the things or marking those pages of the plants that you want. So there are a lot of great catalogs. There's some really well-known, long-time catalogs, you know, Burpees and Gurneys, Young or or Jung, however you pronounce it. Uh, Then there's some other ones like Territorial Seed and Pine Tree and um, Select Seeds, um, lots of different kinds. It'd be interesting if the listeners maybe text in some of their favorite catalogs uh, it'd be kind of interesting to read that. In and, and in addition to that, the arboretum, uh, our book, our our library there, the Anderson Horticultural Library, has one of the largest historical archives of of uh, plant catalogs, dating back, I think, into the eighteen hundreds. So pretty cool. They'll probably have some of those on display, I think, over the in the spring. So it's a it's a really it's a fun hobby to have is to look through those catalogs and then also to be thinking about what you want to grow.
1: Yeah, sounds good. And what were those two uh, 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 catalogs, Bur- Burpees and Gurneys?
2: Burpees and Gurneys. And sounds, like a, sounds like a law firm. <laughs> yeah. Burpees and Gurneys, LLC. Um, and then Territorial, um, Celexis. I'm just looking at the pile that's sitting over here next to my desk here. Um, And then there's some great ones, too, like there's one called the Italian, I think it's just called Italian seed catalog. And that's kind of a cool one, too, that you can find, you know, beans that you wouldn't find in other catalogs. For example, we used it once when we were uh, when I was uh, state director for Master Gardener. We were doing our our annual seed trials, which is another great place to find out about annual plants that uh, have done really well Is the Master Gardener program. Since 1982, has done annual seed trials every year. And you can find that information on the Master Gardener site at the Extension site.
1: Very good. Uh, six, our phone number, 651 also happens to be our text number. If that's easier for you, your your or garden text, either by phone, uh, again, or text 651 uh, Julie, let's grab a phone call. Karen is calling in, I believe, from Coon Rapids this morning. Uh, Karen, thanks for waiting. What What is your question for Julie?
2: Um, I have some really itty-bitty flies that are flying around. I think they're from my house plants. But how do I get rid of those? What do I do? I, I'm slapping them all the time, but <laughs> they're multiplying anyhow. <laughs> okay. So those are probably fungus gnats, and I think you are absolutely right. They may be from your house plants. They are, some, they are actually a, a relation to a fruit fly. So a lot of people think they have fruit flies in their house, and they say, but I don't have any fruits or vegetables on my counter. And, uh, but these are, these are little flies. They lay their eggs in the soil of plants, and uh, those eggs hatch into larvae, and the larvae feed on the fungus in the soil. And that fungus is there. It's naturally there. But And uh, those eggs hatch into larvae, and the larvae feed on the fungus in the soil. And that fungus is there. It's naturally there, but it's more prevalent in plants that are consistently wet, have very wet soil. So uh, plants can have wet soil for a couple reasons. One is you overwater them. Two, you let the plant sit in water after watering it. And three, you have poor drainage in your container. In other words, you don't have a good hole in the bottom that's allowing that excess water to drain out. So what you want to do is uh, look at your house plants. If they are overly wet or the soil is mucky, I would suggest repotting them in some new soil. Go to the garden center, buy a fresh bag of soil, pot them up in that. Wash the pot between, you know, before you repot it. Wash off the roots of the plant so that uh, you're washing off any of those larvae that might be feeding. They're very, very tiny. And uh, once you do that, then you can put what are called sticky traps in your plants. They're yellow cards that are sticky on both sides. And you can put a few of those out in your plants. And the flies are attracted to the yellow color. And then they, it's like, acts like fly paper, basically. The other thing you can do is put uh, a little dish of cider vinegar and a drop of uh, dish soap in it, a couple drops, and that also acts as a trap too. Um, That's a tried-and-true home remedy for getting rid of uh, uh, fruit flies. It's attracting them to that. So those are a couple things you can do, and then be sure that you are repotting into pots that have good drainage, and when you go to water your plants, feel the soil before just watering them. So, it's that overwatering, poor drainage, mucky soil that makes for a perfect environment for fungus gnats.
1: Mm-hmm. We haven't had a question about that for a while. Yuck. Yuck, yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, let's do. I'm getting a little bit of a signal, Julie. Let's take a break. Quick one. Uh, inviting our listeners to join in on our Smart Garden Show. Any kind of a lawn or garden? We haven't had a lawn question. I wonder why for a while. <laughs> Gee, 651 six, six, two, two, six for your phone call or text message for, uh, for Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. It's a Smart Garden Show. In the Twin Cities now, uh, our current temperature reading, well, actually, it has dropped to 2 above. We're looking for a high of 11 above today. We dropped to a minus 5 tonight. We're only going to get up to about 5 above tomorrow. Uh, and uh, and Monday night we'll get down to about uh, 10 below. So it looks like below zero weather all this coming week. Right now it's a plus two here on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here along with Julie Weisenhorn from the UFM answering those particular lawn and garden questions. Here's one. Uh Great. texter says, I have white <laughs> plastic tubes on my bare root trees to keep rabbits away. Will they uh, get enough sunlight is the question. Our vegetable garden has never produced uh, very, hmm, very well, well, I guess it is. Uh, could it be from the black walnut tree nearby? Mm. I've heard they're toxic to the soil.
2: This is a multi-question question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the white uh, protectors around the trunks so of your trees are really important in the winter and good for you for putting them on. They not only help to rabbit feeding, but they also prevent the cells in that little trunk from heating up during our winter sunny days uh, when that sun is really intense and it can cause frost cracking if you allow it. So that white plastic is reflecting the light and keeping those cells at a more consistent, dormant temperature. So you're doing two things by that. You can take those off in the spring. Uh, if you um, still are concerned about rabbits feeding on those plants, which is always a concern, you can put a, a screen of hardware cloth around the trunks too. So um, that we have some good information on our protecting plants and shr- uh, trees and shrubs in the winter webpage on extension.umn.edu so take a look at that the other question about um,
1: your garden
2: yeah the black walnut tree is a very legitimate question black walnuts put out a compound called juglone and it is kind of like a competitive edge over other plants it prevents not all plants but many plants from growing and then competing with the black walnut for the resources, water, space, soil, air, all those things that the plant needs to grow well. So plants like tomatoes don't do well by black walnut. I, my friend uh, Don Olson, who lives up in Two Harbors, was complaining about his tomatoes, and then we, through some detective work, figured out his black walnut was nearby, <laughs> and that was the reason that his tomatoes weren't growing well. So you can do a couple things. Um, Black walnut, that juglone is in all parts of the black walnut plant. The leaves, the roots, the nuts, the husks. And uh, so you really can't get away from it. You can't add anything to the soil to neutralize it. So you need to either put your garden up in a raised bed. And then, you know, be sure that you're raking off any leaves that might occur. You know, that any black walnut leaves or fruit that drops onto your garden. Or move your garden. So you got a couple of options there. But um, you can build it, some nice raised beds. And we do have a web page on how to do that uh, on our extension vegetable page on yard and garden vegetables.
1: You know, I'm going to do that very thing because I mentioned to our friend Mary Meyer that I, I've, I've wanted for a long time to, to build a raised bed and, uh, yeah. and put it in our backyard, and, and yep. didn't really know how to go about doing it. I'm, I'm going to do that. Maybe, you know, we should also mention to our listeners who may be new to the website. It's a great resource, yes. not just on the, that uh, tomatoes, or I love the uh, your uh, lawn treatment, uh, you know, schedule. <laughs> There, uh, oh, the when, calendar. I, when we, when yeah. the calendar, whenever we get, we see our lawn again. But <laughs> yes. uh, what for folks that don't know, tell us because you guys put in a lot of work. You know, talk about a labor of love. What Thank else you. can we find on that website?
2: Well, it's located at extension.umn.edu yard and garden. You can use a search box and just type in the topic that you're looking for when you get to the extension site too. But if you visit yard and garden, you'll find. Uh, some features at the top of the page right now, we have giving your houseplants a fresh start, small-scale hydroponics, and protecting your trees and shrubs in the winter. Then we have solving a problem, which is uh, some really cool apps for you know determining is it a disease, is it an animal that's feeding, uh, do I have insect issues... Uh, is this plant that I'm looking at a weed? What kind of plant diseases do I have? And then we have lots of information on finding specific plants flowers and fruits, and native plants, and house plants, and trees and shrubs and vegetables. And then it's some how to uh, kind of guidelines for things like watering, growing safe food, how to start seeds, lighting for plants, pest management, managing your soil. And then we have our great lawns and landscapes uh, section, which John and I work on. Uh, Landscape design, flowers for pollinators, lawn care, of course. And, uh, And then also if you really get stuck, you can ask a master gardener. And we have a tool on that page, too, that you can just enter in, type in your question. You can add a couple of photos. That's always helpful to the master gardener. And then that goes to our group of master gardener volunteers who are fielding these questions and finding answers for you. So great information. We also write the Yard and Garden News, which comes out every couple weeks and has timely articles, two or three articles, about things that are going on right now. So we'll soon be reminding people to, uh, you know, look at seeds and how to choose good seeds for their garden. I've done a lot of houseplant articles this winter. That's always very popular at this time of the year. Yeah. So we'll start ramping that up now as we get into the growing season.
1: Excellent. Extension.umn.edu. You will mention that before Julie takes her leave Excellent. today. Uh, it's twenty-five Central Time, 2 above 0 here in the Twin Cities. Let's grab another phone call, Julie. Caroline's calling in from Fairfax uh, this morning. Caroline, thanks for waiting. What is your question for Julie?
2: Hi, Julie. I have a section uh, by my patio of soil that was um, evergreen shrubs, and I've taken them
1: out about three years ago and it's been lying dormant. This summer I'd like to raise veggies or flowers in that twenty by eight section. What do I need
2: to do to prepare and enrich the soil to make it viable for growing plants and sure. flowers? Oh, great question. And it leads me to a recommendation of getting a soil test done. So the soil tests we have a soil testing lab on the St. Paul campus of the University of Minnesota. And on their website, uh, which is, you can just type that into the search box, soil test. They will explain how to take a soil sample. It's very easy. You can do it as soon as the snow is gone. And put it, they need about a cup of soil to do a soil test. It costs uh, $19 for a soil test. And they will send back, you can put in there that you want to plant vegetables. You can identify that as the use for this space. And then they will send you recommendations. So they'll analyze things like the drainage, which is the texture of the soil. So if it's coarse, it's sandy. If it's fine, it's clayey. Uh, they will also tell you the soil pH, which is useful in in uh, when you decide what kinds of plants to plant in that location. They'll also tell you the organic matter, and that's probably going to be, particularly important for this space because that's had evergreens in it. You might have a really high organic matter in that because Mm -hmm. the evergreens have dropped their needles over the years. And then uh, they'll give you recommendations on fertilizer to add. So sometimes you just need to add nitrogen. You have plenty of phosphorus, plenty of potassium. But they will tell you that in the report that you get. And if you can't understand the report, because sometimes it's a little complicated, on the back side of the report or the second page, They give you good explanations of what everything means. And if you still need help, you can use that Ask a Master Gardener tool that I just mentioned on our website and ask them for help in determining, you know, what do I do? What do I need to add? Um, This is what my soil test is, and they can help to analyze that for you and give you some good uh, places to start. So that sounds great. That's a great use of that space, and I bet that you're going to get some great, uh, great vegetables growing there.
1: Wonderful. All right. Let's do this, Julie. In spite of the, the frigid temperatures, <laughs> let's have a look at that forecast. We're going to take a break, have a look at the uh, Twin Cities weather for this coming week and the rest of the weekend as well. And then we have about another half hour of our smart garden show to, uh, to go. So if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, please call us or text us, 651 The weather is next here on Newstalk 830. This is WCCO. And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here along with Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M answering those particular lawn and garden questions either by phone or by text, as usual. 651-461-9226. If you want to call and chat with Julie, great. We'd love to hear your voice. Otherwise, just send your question via text. Same number, 651-461-9226. Here's the text, Julie. Right. Uh, Texture says, I thought I'd sprout some dill in the bright window. Why are they so gangly and long? It's really bright there.
2: <laughs> well, dill is a full sun plant. And, and uh, when plants get gangly and long like that, even in a bright window that we feel is a bright window, there still is some minimization of the or minimizing of the sun and its potential through the glass whether it can be just the glass itself or sometimes it's, your windows are a little dirty like mine. And, uh, and so that can, that can change the plant and the plant becomes what we call leggy, meaning that it's growing and it has to do with the cell development in the plant between the nodes, between the, the growing points. And you could think of a, a node as where a leaf or a stem comes off of the main stem of the plant. Those get very long and they will bend toward the light and you can turn the plant and then they'll bend back the other direction. But they become very long and it has to do with low light. So that's part of it. Dill is a tough plant to grow indoors because of its size. Because it is a very tall plant. And uh, you can try to do that. I would just keep uh, you know, keep working on it. But dill, even in the garden, can be a very long, tall plant. So um, I love dill. That's a good choice, I think. But uh, that's why it's got that kind of... Leggy, floppy appearance.
1: I remember in years past when we would <laughs> gather together at the Studio Six downtown. Yep. Yes, you would bring in some pickles.
2: I did. Yes, you know yeah. I haven't made pickles for a couple years. I so. was. Cause that was my next yeah. question. <laughs> I know. I actually have started making them. I've I've kind of nixed the hot water bath boiling part, and I've started making. Uh, I've got these big glass jars that they're the industrial food jars of olives. Oh yes. you know they olives came in. And I will fill them full of pickles, the dill, all the spices that I normally would, and then pour the hot brine on them, cap them, and keep them in the fridge. So I make just a couple of those, and for Carl and I, that's plenty. So, uh, yeah, so that actually works really, really well. And those pickles stay very crisp the entire year. Do they? Because they're not cooked, yeah. And they're kept fresh because they're in the fridge, so... Yeah, it's a, it's a really great cheating way to do pickles. Well, oh, I remember kind of the they're refrigerator a great, pickle mode. great tasting
1: pickles. We used oh, to ration them out uh, for a long time. <laughs> uh, tell you what, Julie, uh, let us grab a phone call. Oliver calling in from Columbia Heights uh, this morning. Oliver, what is your question for Julie? Hi, everybody. Yes, um, I know that they have heirloom uh, vegetables, you know, heirloom tomatoes, cucumbers, and so forth. And what I'm interested in uh, in getting is if there's such a thing as a heirloom fruit tree, I'm looking for something that's less genetically modified, something that, you know, like, if, is it possible to get a tree that was from way back?
2: Boy, if you can, it would be from a specialty grower. Um, you know, these plants are the the plants that we grow and and if you're thinking I'll I'll use apples as an example they're actually not genetically modified they're just selected so um bees will carry pollen from one you know one apple tree to another and cross-pollinate which is important for getting fruit and uh in doing so uh we sometimes get apples that are you know apple trees that are kind of surprises. And the Honeycrisp is actually an example of that. If you watch any of the videos about apple growing, you'll hear uh, Dave Bedford talk about the Honeycrisp and that as they walk along, these, as these growers, these breeders, go out in the fall and they taste apples for like four, for like four hours a day, they'll take a bite of an apple, they'll have their chart, they'll... Gauge, you know, rated on different things, and they spit the apple out, and they do this for until they can't taste anything anymore. But they came across this one tree; they had no idea where it came from. I don't think, or they might know one of the parents, but they're not sure the second. And uh, and so, in other words, there were two trees. The pollen got crossed between the trees, and this one tree was the result of it. And it was the actual first Honeycrisp tree. They knew as soon as they took a bite of those apples that they knew they had something special. And it certainly turned out to be a fabulous fruit for the industry as well as being our state apple, our state fruit in Minnesota. So I think to answer your, get back to your question, you can look for some of the heirloom varieties, um, but what you're going to probably find is grafted, plants that have been grafted. So they've they've got a certain rootstock, and then they've some they've grafted the top of another tree, a branch from another tree, to that root stock. And the root stock brings along things like disease resistance. It maybe affects the size of the plant. It could be dwarfing root stock that makes a smaller plant. Uh, and then the top of it could bring along flower color, fragrance, crispness, uh, the size of the fruit, the color of the fruit, all these different things. And that's actually how our plants are. Developed, So we're taking cuttings off of a known plant, rooting them out, and then grafting them to rootstock. So they're not genetically modified. They're actually grafted, which is different.
1: Okay, very good.
2: I don't know if I answered your question, Oliver, (laughs) entirely, but do look at some of the videos about about, uh, the apple breeding at the university. It's super interesting, and it goes along that there are other fruits that are bred that way too.
1: So our state apple is the Honeycrisp.
2: It is the Honeycrisp.
1: Oh, as it should be. Oh, yes. Why? I wonder why. Well, you can tell me this because you're the <laughs> <laughs> you, you're try. the person with the expert as far as taste goes. I I still say, and I'm not just a homer, but I love the taste <laughs> of Minnesota-grown apples that are Honeycrisp. I know. Versus anywhere else, Canada, wherever, Washington. Yeah.
2: Well, and that's an interesting thing, because with the Honeycrisp, that was really one of the... I mean, we have a lot of great apples. We have the Harrelson that's still grown. We have Harrel Red. We have um, uh, Chestnut Crab, all sorts of different apples from the University of Minnesota, and those are bred with other growers, too, and and other universities. But the interesting thing about the Honeycrisp is that they found, because... They found that Honeycrisp trees grown in areas where we, they do not have the same type of climate as Minnesota. So maybe it's warmer, for example. Yeah. They're just not as sweet. They're not uh. as crisp. They, don't, they taste different. If you taste yeah. a Washington State Honeycrisp and a Minnesota, they're going to be a different taste. And, uh, and so it's very interesting. It has to do with concentration of sugars. It has to do with the temperature at night. And it's just kind of like it's bread for Minnesota and it just tastes different when you buy it from somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an apple snob myself. I'm a Minnesota apple girl.
1: That's what we like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, texter says this, Julie, what's a good rich mixture for a vegetable garden?
2: Well, you want good drainage. That's the first thing. And uh, again, you could do a soil test and the soil test lab could help you with some of the uh, information particularly about fertilizers needed or if you if you need to amend with organic matter you want something that is light but has a little bit of weight to it so you don't want it to be blowing around like pure peat you want it to have some kind of a, a weight and that helps to anchor the roots of the plant but you want good drainage and and root growth is important not just not just water is important but also air In that in that soil, so you don't want it compacted down like hard clay. We all know what hard clay is like, and it's really really tough environment for roots. And those roots have to pull up an awful lot of nutrients and water to support the rest of the plant, and particularly the fruit that you're growing on your plants. So you want a a well drained soil. You want uh, air along with moisture. You want it to hold moisture but not be wet and mucky. And uh, again, a soil test is a great place to start for that. Okay. As is our website. We have a which is? section <laughs> which is da, 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 extension.umn.edu. And go to our vegetable section and our soil section, and you'll find good information on soil for a vegetable garden
1: always a good resource let's grab another phone call julie uh adrian's calling in from i believe dayton this morning adrian what's your question good morning for uh, julie uh say we a good program uh thank you i got apple trees in the summertime it just take hundreds of gallons of water to so survive the drought of the summer and then in the winter time the deer and and the rabbits once that tree is girdled is it done or can you what can you do with it
2: oh good question good question uh yeah, it's tough when, when you have animals that girdle that. Now, girdling is basically chewing off the outside bark and then also chewing into the tissues that are beneath the bark. That's called the cambium layer, and that's actually where the vessels exist that bring water up from the roots to the rest of the plant and down from the leaves, the photosynthates, the energy, the sugars, down into the roots and feed the plant. So they go back and forth. It's called the vascular system or the phloem and xylem. And when that gets girdled, it's like it's like, Cutting, a, uh, cutting off your watering hose, you know, if you think of that. And so nothing can go up and down through those vessels anymore because that animal is eaten through them. The problem with that is there's nothing to really do about it. You can't repair it. Um, you can You can protect the plant, as we mentioned earlier, with the person who has the white guards around their trees. That's important. You could put hardware cloth around it. If, if it's happened to your trees, I would wait until spring because sometimes only a portion of that stem is girdled and the rest of the tree kind of makes up for it. Sometimes it heals itself. Sometimes it's just a little bit of it. Maybe they didn't get as deep into the cambium as you thought. So just hang on until spring. See how those plants are doing. Uh, if you see a lot of dieback in the trees, in other words, produce you know, no leaves, no flowers, no buds, uh, a lot of dead branches. It could be that that plant is is uh, doomed at that point, and you need to take it out and replant with something else.
1: All right, very good. We need is
2: is uh, doomed at that point, and you need to take it out and replant with something else.
1: All right, very good. We need Julie to take a quick break. And get back to the remaining minutes of our Smart Garden Show. Here is our phone number. It also happens to be our text number, 651 As we head to the break, I want to remind our listeners, Julie, and I know you have a beautiful dog at your house. Oh, yes. She's what's, wonderful. What's her name? Zola. Zola. Zola, a beautiful white dog. <laughs> well, we are going to, and I know there happens to be a veterinarian in your family, but we're going to be having Dr. Jean Geske on tomorrow morning on our yes. Health Hour In the 7 o'clock hour, I'll be filling in for Susie, who's taking some time off. Uh, And uh, we're going to be talking about the health of your dogs and cats and get some questions answered tomorrow. So for those that have those critters at home and uh, would like to ask the vet some questions, that'll be in the 7 o'clock hour. Stay with us this morning, two degrees above zero here on News Talk A30, WCCO. And welcome back to the remaining minutes of our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your text messages or phone calls. Uh, this morning for Julie Wisenhorn from the U of M, answering those lawn and garden type of questions. Uh, Julie, we have a bunch of text messages. I'd Great. certainly like to help out as many people as we can. Sounds good. Uh, here's one. Uh, can milkweed plants be planted in a raised garden knowing they won't come back year after year?
2: It depends on how how high the raised garden is. And actually, milkweed is a good one to try because uh, it's a tough plant. It's a native plant. I would give it a shot and see if it works. And if not, it's going to produce a ton of seeds and you're going to have milkweed in other parts of your garden.
1: Okay. We collected some hollyhock seeds last fall, says a listener. What's the best way to use them or get them started?
2: So, hollyhocks are a biennial. A lot. Of, well, I shouldn't say that entirely, but some of them are. And a biennial produces the leaves and the roots the first year, and then they overwinter, and then the next year they bloom. So, if you start those seeds, you can put them in the ground as soon as the, uh, as soon as you can work the soil, and uh, go ahead and plant them out. And you might find that you just get leaves and roots the first year. That's fine. Just leave them alone. And the next year, they should start to bloom. They'll start producing seeds. And then you'll be in a cycle where you'll have something blooming every year. And then new plants coming up every year, too.
1: Okay. Got a nice text from uh, Brian from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Loves the station and our programming here on Saturdays. Thank you. Uh, uh, Brian says, I have a very bumpy yard from multiple seasons Mm -hmm. of moles coming and going. It makes it somewhat difficult to mow. Any tips to get rid of the moles once and for all and smooth out the lawn? Now that's, you know, the moles oh, can boy. do crazy damage with those runs. But could yes. it, in some circumstances, not necessarily here in Brian's case, be earthworms too?
2: It could be earthworms. It could be the type of grass that he's growing. He might have bunch grasses that hmm. make it appear to be bumpy. Um, you can roll. You can rent a roller and have your lawn rolled to flatten out those bumps if they're things like the tunnels. To get rid of the moles, oh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, uh, the, what I've always understood from turf people, and I wish John was on today, uh, is that you have to actually either make the site inhospitable to moles. In other words, moles are feeding on grubs and earthworms. So if you have grub issues, you might want to deal with that first. And essentially, if they can't get their food at your yard, they're going to go somewhere else. But in the meantime, you may have to trap moles, and there are some killer traps, meaning that they kill the moles, and they're called—I think they're called spike traps, or yeah. something like that. Or, uh, but so you have a couple of options there. Take a look at our website. Uh, I'm not sure if we have an article specifically on moles, but uh, but there may be some information there too. I'm not recalling anything specifically.
1: But they can really do some tremendous damage to you. They
2: yard. can, and people hate killing animals. Um, but, uh, but essentially, if you make it less hospitable and you can deal with any grub issues or if you have excessive amounts of earthworms, you might be overwatering your yard, too. And, uh, and that can create a really nice environment for grubs and for earthworms. And that, yeah. can, cause, uh, that can attract some of the, the uh, omnivores or carnivore I guess the carnivore animals. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, That's well, enough th- about <laughs> th- Thanks,
1: Brian. Appreciate Brian's text. <laughs> thanks,
2: Brian. Thank you.
1: This uh, texture says the rabbits are feeding on the apple trees, and because the snow banks are so high, in your opinion, right. will the trees be okay?
2: Well, if they're just eating the ends of the tree branches, uh, that is, you know, you can't really help that, and you can just prune those off in the spring when, or or actually late winter coming up. March is a good time to prune. You can just trim those off. Um, if you can, you can, uh, I don't know how many apple trees you're talking about, but if you can dig a trench around the, you know, if you have low-hanging apple tree branches, you can dig a trench around so that the animals can't sit up on the snow. That's one idea. Is like dig out your trees, so to speak. Um, you can also prune off branches that are extra long to prevent them from feeding on those, too. So at this point, uh, not much to do other than that, kind of just manage the, manage the damage at this point.
1: You know, normally, it's, as I recall, we, we get this time of year, Julie, a lot of tree trimming questions. I haven't seen right. many in yeah, the last a few weeks. This is really a good time of year to get things like oaks and other ones trimmed, right? Yes,
2: it sure is because the plants are dormant. And especially we have this really cold weather coming. And so uh, the plants are, are dormant and uh, it's less of an issue for disease and insects to uh, this is the safest time of year to prune, in other words.
1: So let's do another text and maybe we sure. can uh, r- quickly talk about the Arboretum. Uh, my Neighborhood Boulevard text says, has maple trees which are buried in four feet of snow. How can we protect the bark from splitting?
2: Well, you can't do anything now. Uh, if, those are, if they're small enough trees, you would put on the white guards in the fall. But if they're buried in four feet of snow, the, the part that's buried is going to be fine. It's protected by the snow, so don't worry about that. It's the part above the snow that you'd be worried about. And if they're small enough trees, you still could put a guard around that trunk if that's feasible. You can cut the guard to the right height, and uh, you can go ahead and do that. And then as the snow melts, you may have to extend that.
1: Okay, uh, for sixty seconds or so, Julie. Let's uh, let's mention the arboretum—a wonderful place. We love to talk about right. the arboretum.
2: So the arboretum coming up is our flower show, which I think I want to say it starts at the end of January, but you can check the website. It's arb a r b dot U-M-N, dot edu. Come on out! We have snowshoes for rental. There's been a ton of people snowshoeing. We've had such good snow. They are grooming some of the uh, cross country ski trails. You can also just walk around the arboretum too. It's beautiful out there right now with all the winter snow. Come to the flower show. You do need reservations, so go on the site. And it's free to members, of course, uh, $15 uh, access fee to uh, people who are not members. Visit the gift shop. They've got all their spring uh, or products in there. And they've got, they were setting up the seeds, the seed rack uh, the other day. So yeah, come on out see the flower show. It's it's uh, I think the theme is like communing with nature, or being with being in nature. It's it, they've done some amazing things with huge hollow tree trunks.
1: And you can make a day of it, or more than a sure. day of it if you like. There, there there there's a place you can get a bite to eat too.
2: Right, the cafe is great yeah. for that, and you can watch the birds feeding on the bird feeders outside while you eat. So it's it's a really wonderful place to be.
1: Oh, yeah. If you've never been there, you're going to love No matter what time of year, it's, it's just right. a fantastic place. It's Julie, lovely. always a pleasure. Thanks so much. And I know we'll be talking with you here and again in the next couple of weeks or so. Sounds but uh, stay yeah. warm out there, will you? And you when, are the ab- when are the abiders playing next now so we can put the it on our calendars?
2: The next gig is February 25th. We'll be at uh, the uh, Back Channel Brewing in Mound, Minnesota. Not too far from my house.
1: February 25th, February, you said.
2: February 25th.
1: Excellent. Good deal. Julie, we'll, uh, we'll, check. we'll mention that again when you're, when you're on the next time. That's <laughs> good. All right, Julie, thanks so much. Thanks, Daddy. You bet. <laughs> Say hi to Carl. Julie Weisenhorn from Bye. the University of Minnesota answering those lawn and garden questions today. Uh, get those home improvement questions ready. That's right. Andy Lindis will be coming along in the uh, next hour. So if you're beginning a project or maybe you're concerned about your uh, insulation, or your ice dams, or whatever the case may be. Get those questions ready next hour for our Home Improvement Show. Andy Lindis from Lindis Construction. Hi, today in the Twin Cities, we're expecting to reach near 11. We're only going to get up to about 5 above tomorrow. In the meantime, wind chill at a minus 13. CCO temp, 2 degrees above zero. This
0: episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.